I read an interesting little news story during the week. The headline of which was, Shooting Mistake Costs Hunters Dearly. Please notice the pun on the word dearly, because here's what happened. Two Japanese deer hunters have been arrested after mistakenly shooting dead two prize racehorses and severely wounding a third. You really got to know you're having an unlucky day, don't you? The two men who were hunting at night on Okato Island fired off seven rifle rounds at the animals which they spotted from their truck. The three female yearlings were together worth more than a million dollars. Two were shot dead and the third critically injured. The hunters now fa- will now face criminal charges. Now, a mate actually sent me that article during the week. I don't know when it actually happened. He sent it to me because he knows that I love stories like that. And I share it tonight simply to make the point that the results can be terrible when we fail to mistake, when we fail to recognise something that is actually of great value. Things can go terribly wrong when we don't treat as special something that is in fact very special. I can still remember the day Sue's dad used my all-time favourite coffee mug, which we had carried all around America and had great sentimental value. I can still remember the night he kept his false teeth in it while they were staying with us. And after that event, no matter how many times it went through the dishwasher, I could never bring myself to drink coffee out of it again and I had to throw it in the bin. The results can be terrible when someone fails to recognise something that is really valuable. But heck, that, that's, that's a coffee mug, that, that's racehorses. You know what it's like to get really upset and to get really hurt and angry when people who you feel very precious and special over, when they are mistreated, when your children get bullied at school, when your husband or your wife or a friend is getting an unfair treatment at work, you can feel the anger and the, and the upset inside you. Now, friends, the little section of Acts that we're going to look at tonight, that's pretty much exactly what happens. In the little section of Acts we're looking at, some people who are of great value are actually not recognised as such. And the results are really tragic. The actual incident itself that we're going to zero in on is a strange little incident that happens to a couple called Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. It's a sort of weird thing that happens to them. But before we get to them, let me first perhaps justify why I want to zero in on Ananias and Sapphira and not on a whole lot of other stuff that is also happening in Acts all around them. Because you see, last Tuesday, hopefully if you were here, you remember that we started on Acts by looking at the first few uh, verses in chapter 1 and we discovered that Acts is a book all about what the risen Christ is continuing to do and teach after his resurrection from the dead. And in particular, he's been very proactive in telling his stunned disciples the action plan that he wants them to carry out. The risen Christ has told them to go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes, they are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Remember that? That was Jesus' action plan. His action plan is wait for the Holy Spirit and then when the Spirit comes, get the message about me out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world. Well, what happens after those verses in chapter 1 is that the next big section in Acts, which runs all the way from chapter 2 to chapter 7, the next next big section describes the first stage 
of Jesus' action plan. Chapters 2 to 7 describe how Jesus uses his disciples to spread the news about him in Jerusalem. Uh, next week we'll see what happens when they, spread, when they go to the next phase into Judea and Samaria. But for the moment, it's Jerusalem that's the focus of our attention. What you notice in Acts, though, is in chapters 2 to 7, what you find is that Luke is very specific in the events that he records that happen in Jerusalem. I think I've listed them in the bulletin sheet. But in Jerusalem, five main things happen, or at least five main things Luke records for us. The first main thing in chapter 2 is Pentecost. That's when the disciples receive the Holy Spirit in a very spectacular way. Uh, they, uh, a crowd gathers and they tell the crowd all about the importance of Jesus, that he's the Christ, that his resurrection from the dead shows that he is God's king of the world and if people would acknowledge that and submit to him, then forgiveness can be theirs, the Holy Spirit can be theirs. And that's exactly what happens to about 3,000 people on the one day. After Pentecost... The next main thing that happens is that Peter and John uh, get arrested. What happens is that Peter heals a cripple. Um, that draws a crowd. He starts to preach to the crowd about Jesus, again telling them to submit to Jesus. Their sins will be forgiven. They'll receive the Holy Spirit. But this time the Jewish leaders get pretty upset and they throw Peter and John into jail overnight, uh, basically telling them to shut up about Jesus. The next big event that you read about is the one that we're going to have a look at, Ananias and Sapphira. Skip that for a moment. We'll come back to that in more detail. After them, there's another event where all the disciples now get arrested, thrown in the jail, tied to shut up about Jesus. And then finally, there's the terrible event of Stephen, who, uh, despite all the threats about being quiet about Jesus, he keeps preaching and uh, gets the Jews so angry that he's eventually stoned to death. It's a terrible event. Uh, the first Christian loses their life simply for telling people about Jesus. And uh, sadly, of course, thousands of, thousands of Christians have suffered that same fate ever since. In Acts, they are the five main things that occur in Jerusalem. Here's the thing. What's really interesting is not simply what's recorded in Jerusalem, but the way they are recorded. I hope this isn't too much detail. There's a point coming. See, what you notice is that in the first and last event, the, the Pentecost and the Stephen ones, they're actually recorded in a very similar way. For example, both stories start out with the same phrase, in those days. Both then describe a choosing process taking place. Uh, the choosing of a replacement for Judas in the one case, the choosing of seven people to help the apostles in that. Both instances have really long speeches, pretty well the two longest speeches in the entire book of Acts. Both speeches are chock-a-block of Old Testament references and both speeches end up on the same climactic note. It's a climactic image of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, all of which adds a similarity to, this, to these two events. But wait, there's more. Not only do those two events are recorded in a way that brings out similarities, the second and the fourth one are as well. In both, sequence, in both these ones, the whole sequence of events is almost identical. Peter miraculously heals someone in the temple area. The healing gets the Jewish officials offside who arrest Peter and in the second case, all the apostles altogether. They threaten them not to talk about Jesus anymore. After a lot of debating, the Jewish power breakers then release the disciples and the story, the story ends with the disciples rejoicing and praising God. It's pretty much, it's history repeating itself. Exactly the same sequence. Miracles, arrest, 
threats release rejoicing. What does it all mean? It all has the effect of, of throwing emphasis on this one central event of Ananias and Sapphira. Here is an event in the book of Acts, the way Luke has put it all together, that just stands out a mile because there is absolutely nothing else like it. It's a very, very distinctive event that happens in Jerusalem. And the shape of the way everything is recorded around it make it stand out. Because in this weird sort of event, Luke has something very, very, very important to tell us. wonder what that might be. Well, let's hear the verses first about Ananias and Sapphira, verses 1 to 11, and George is, uh, Melissa's going to read it. Yeah, wherever you're comfortable. Now, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Aeneas heard this, he fell down and died, and a great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Aeneas got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, uh, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, maybe you've heard that story before, uh, but it's weird, isn't it? It's a strange sort of event. It's weird because all these people are dropping dead all over the place for things that to us at first don't seem all that bad. What, what is going on here? What's the serious problem? We need to think clearly about here. For starters, please notice that it's important to see that Ananias and Sapphira are not being punished for being greedy. Uh, By that I mean, you know, they sold the field, they gave some money to the church, but they didn't have to do any of that. They didn't even have to give any of the money. They were under no compulsion whatsoever. Peter says as much in verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? See, it's their money. They could have done whatever they want. There doesn't seem to be any law in the early church about... uh, anyone having to do this sort of thing, uh, you could keep your own property if you wanted to. Ananias could have kept all the money from the sale if he had wanted to. But his problem was one of hypocrisy, deceit. He gave half the money, but pretended he'd given all the money. 
That becomes obvious in Peter's questioning of Sapphira in verse 8. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Uh, Yes, she said, that's the price. See, she's pretending that the money that they've just given to the church was all the money that they'd received from the field. Why would they have done that? Well, probably to make themselves look good. At the end of the previous chapter, chapter 4, it tells the story of Barnabas who sold a field and that guy did give all the money to the church. Uh, Maybe they wanted to be seen as generous as he was. Maybe they wanted to be highly thought of in the church. They they seem to be chasing the praise of people and for that they pay the ultimate price. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. It's a scary story. Scary because the punishment seems a bit over the top. And it gets worse because poor old Sapphira, she now comes uh, whistling into the room, blissfully ignorant of what's happened to her husband. She drops dead as well. What's the big deal about pretending to be more generous than you actually were? The big deal is that people are treating Christ's church with contempt. That is their downfall. Ananias and Sapphira in this little incident, they're trying to manipulate the church community for their own ends. They're trying to use the church to inflate their own reputation. They are selfishly using the church to try and make themselves look good. And you see, Christ will not stand for that because Christ and his church are inseparable. Jesus and his church are like that. They are so close that as you treat Jesus, sorry, as you treat one, so you treat the other. Notice in these verses that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church family, but Peter speaks of them as lying to God. In verse 2, it's that they've lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, it's that they've tested or tempted Christ's spirit. But in one sense, they hadn't. It had been the church that they'd been trying to trick. But you see, as you treat a church, so you treat Jesus. Now, we'll actually see this sort of thing next week as well when the Apostle Paul is converted in in chapter 9. When that happens, Paul, who was then called Saul, Saul is stopped by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He's heading off to find some more Christians and persecute them and arrest them. And the risen Jesus stops uh, Saul in his tracks and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? What does he say? Me. But Paul... Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Christians, the church. And yet Jesus is so close with his church. He takes things so personally when it comes to his church that as you treat a church, so you are in fact treating Jesus. When you persecute a church, it's as if you're persecuting Jesus himself. When you lie to a church, it's as if you are lying to Jesus himself. When you try and manipulate a church for your own purposes, it's as if you are trying to manipulate Christ for your own purposes. All of which tonight I want to suggest, if you think about it, makes Tuesday church a bit of a dangerous place to be. I want you to see that tonight. It's one thing to mistake a racehorse for a deer and uh, to mistake a coffee mug for 
just, I don't know why, a false tooth holder. But to not see how precious a church family is to Christ. If we don't see that, the repercussions can be disastrous. And I want to ask you, do you see it? Do you see how precious we here at Tuesday Church are to Jesus Christ? Because in one sense we mightn't see much. There's not many of us here tonight. But do you see how close Jesus holds this church family to his very heart? I don't know, you may have a very casual attitude about things here. You mightn't give two hoots to what the church leadership thinks. You might only be here tonight for what you get out of it. You might treat this church in the same way you treat Raytree or some other sporting club or hobby that you're into. Uh, You may only get here when you can sort of feel there's nothing better on to do. Heck, you may only be here because it gives you a circle of friends. Please be warned. A church is not a plaything. A church is incredibly precious to Jesus. So perhaps you're starting to see why Luke constructs his book in such a way as to draw attention in Jerusalem to this very striking event. It's because in this event, it's highlighting how, as the risen Christ is now gathering people to himself, this incident highlights just how precious those people are to him. Because we see two people here trying to manipulate a church family for their own ends, trying to boost their own reputation, and for that they are unceremoniously punished. And I wonder whether it's such a striking story for us. I wonder the reason why we get so surprised about the apparent harshness of the punishment. I wonder if that's perhaps because we don't actually just value church as much as Jesus does. And friends, if that's the case, we've got to repent of that. We need to start seeing things Jesus' way. We need to be very careful to treat each other here with the care and the consideration and the generosity and the reverence that Jesus calls on us to. And heck, maybe that may mean selling something and using the money to help someone else here so as to make sure that everyone else has their needs met. Maybe it'll mean stopping being casual and flippant about our commitment to, to, to uh, Tuesday church. Maybe we need to be careful in our speech so that later on over, uh, over supper we only say things that are helpful and uplifting because we don't want to run the risk of causing trouble. Maybe we need to stop being so picky and choosy about which people we're going to be prepared to spend time with or simply talk to. Maybe we need to walk in the doors at the, uh, uh, with a mindset of, of serving the other people here because Jesus takes it very, very personally what happens here. This church family is far more precious than I'm sure we give it credit for. I don't think it's an accident that this little episode about Ananias Sapphira, I don't think it's an accident that it closes with the words in verse 11, great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. Can I close by asking you to notice two things there? Firstly, notice that word church. It's the first time it's actually used in the book of Acts. And I reckon that's really deliberate. Because Luke has taken us into a day in the life of the early church that highlights how precious and important and really dangerous, in one sense, a church community can be. Here is an incident that highlights the value 
of a church family. And so it's here that he uses the word church for the very first time. Because it's with this story that you get a glimpse of the reverence and the care with which a church should be treated. Second thing to note. Note the word fear in that sentence. It's not used in the sense of sort of terror. It's not that in the sense that you've got to flinch every time Jesus sort of raises his hand to scratch his head because you're worried that he's going to lash out at you. But, but we do need to realise the trouble that we're going to get ourselves into if we don't value the people that Jesus values. We need to make sure that we've got a healthy, healthy, reverent respect for the risen Christ who has far more power and authority at his disposal than we can possibly imagine. And if he values someone, we ought to value them too. So are you seized with great fear about how you treat Tuesday church? Are you seized with fear about how you treat Tuesday church? If you're not, you should be. You treat this church too casually. You treat this church too selfishly. You try and use the others in this room for your own advantage. You cause trouble here and you're going to be in a lot of trouble with the risen Christ. Sure, you will probably not drop dead on the spot. But there will come a day when we will all have to face the risen Christ and he will have taken it very, very personally if we have mistreated or manipulated or been too flippant with his church family. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that we are so precious to you that even though at times we don't look at all impressive in the eyes of the world, thank you that we are very special to you and very precious. Thank you that you have purchased us, placed us in your family through the death and resurrection of your, of your own dear son. And Father, we'd like to ask that you'd help us to see our church family through your eyes. Help us to really value one another to want to nurture one another and to help one another. Father, please, we pray, help us to value church as the risen Christ does. We pray all this in his wonderful name. Amen.